Welcome back to Warriors Den, episode 108. Today's guest is 5th Dan Black Belt Kramaga practitioner Yaela Eliashar. Now, Yela is one of the top-ranked female practitioners and one of the top-ranked individuals uh, in, in general that teaches globally uh, under the Kramaga organization, Kramaga Israel. And the Kramaga world can actually be very confusing because there are so many organizations and so many approaches to Kramaga methodology for ranking, which has created the issue around standardization for what is expected of individuals. And this is actually a little clip from the podcast on Yaela's thoughts on ranking. Well, first of all, it's not just in North America. I know that in uh, in Europe, it's the mm. same thing. I was recently in France, and and um, when I asked people there how long it takes them to, to reach, for, to get from, you know, a beginner's level from white belt to black belt, then they said it takes about two years, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, two, <laughs> two years in Israel, you don't even reach, you know, orange belt. So mm. what? Um, this is actually something that I wholeheartedly agree with her, that the standards and expectations for Krav Maga needs to be increased. It's uh, good to hear that it took her over 20 years uh, to get her fifth then, which is very appropriate. Uh, and I think the lack of standards is probably one of the reasons that Kramaga has a black eye. Now, Yella uh, travels, as I mentioned, uh, teaches all over the world, and she also volunteers for the police force in Israel. And she does this professionally for a living, and it was an absolute pleasure to have her on, as there should be more female practitioners at high levels, and she is one of the few that has dedicated her life, as mentioned, so she has lots to say. This is a great episode. Uh, check her out on social media. I'll post it in the uh, show notes, and the links will be available, and as well as Krav Maga Israel. So here is episode 108 with Yela Elishar. Thank you for listening to the Warrior's Den podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics Karmaga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. If you like this podcast and our content, make sure you support us in the many various ways you can. The easy and free ways start with liking, subscribing, following, and leaving a positive review wherever you may be listening or watching. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram at Urban Tactics Karmaga, and Twitter at Urban Tactics KM. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble at Urban Tactics Kramaga. Another great way to support this podcast, as well as our other content, is to check out our blog at www.utcamblog.com. Here you can check out our weekly curriculum, our various blog posts, and general ideas about Kramaga and self-defense. For those of you feeling generous, you can also click on the Support Us tab and send donations our way so we can continue providing the awesome content you love. And for those who would like a little more for their money, you can check out www.utcamu.com and learn Kramaga and self-defense online as we teach it at our school. You can check out the various levels of curriculum with monthly or annual subscriptions and learn Kramaga so that you too can walk in peace. Small disclaimer, UTKMU is meant to supplement your regular Kramaga self-defense or martial arts training in person with qualified instructors and is not a substitute for in-person real training. And for those of you who want to look as good as I know you feel, you can always check out www.utcamshop.com where you can check out and buy the latest UTCAM merch from us. Warning, wearing UTCAM merch will not turn you from a lamb to a lion. 
To start your transformation from lamb to lion, you must start your training journey today. Stay consistent and never give up wherever you may be. Side effects of wearing UTK merch may be chronic bouts of kicking ass, feeling good, and learning to walk in peace. And of course, if you are in the Metro Vancouver area, come train with us in person. Sign up at www.urbantacticskm.com. I would love to help you on your journey from lamb into lion. And now, back to the episode. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. Listening to the Warriors Day. Warriors Day, brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions. Hey, welcome back. I am here with uh, Yaela Yelashar, uh, one of the top-ranked females in Krav Maga in Israel. How are you today? Great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, cool. Thanks for coming on, of course. I never know who's going to say yes. And with the time difference, sometimes people are like, ah, maybe. So it, uh, thanks, thanks again. Um, let's just start with how did you get into Krav Maga in the first place? Well, actually, it's, um, it all started with my brother. My brother was the one who started Krav Maga. I was actually a very active kid. And I did a few martial arts as a, a little girl. I did some judo, I did some kung fu, and um, I used to live in a, a big city uh, called Haifa. It's one of the largest cities in Israel. And um, when I turned uh, 13, we moved to a small town. And uh, it was kind of a shock for me because uh, I had to leave all my friends and all my activities uh, in, in the big city and just move to the small town. And there was nothing here. I mean, there, were, there was judo and there was Krav Maga. And um, I didn't really know what Krav Maga meant back then, but my brother tried it out. And then he um, he said, well, you, you have to join, you have to try it. And I was like, I don't think so. I was like, you know, I was like a rebel that, back then because we just moved to a small town and I was like, I want my friends, I want the big city. I want, I want to get back to my life. And I was 13, as I said, so I'm a teenager. I'm just, you know, just moved to a new junior high. It was, it was crazy. And then um, after a year or so, he kept on trying to convince me to go. And I, then I said, you know what? Fine, I'll go. Mm. And the moment I stepped in, I realized this, this is where I want to be. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I, I fell in love with the system. I was, um, I, I mean, I always knew that I was going to be in martial arts ever since I was a little girl. I was always a very sportive person, but um nothing caught me quite as much as as Krav Maga did and I was really hooked on it and when I when I, a, a year later when when we go to the 10th grade when we're 16 we have this uh thing here in Israel where we have to give um we have to volunteer for 60 hours wherever we want just as, as part of of uh of school related stuff 
So I turned to my uh, coach, to uh, my coach's name is uh, Ilan Fadlan. And um, I told him, I think I want to help you with the kids. And uh, that's where I started teaching, actually. And that's right. when I realized that this is what I want to do with my life. This is, this is me. This is where I found myself. So that's yeah. amazing. Kamaga changed my life completely. That's great you found it. And when I was young, uh, I was like, I want to do martial arts, but I don't want to do karate. But that's all my parents knew. And there was no Kramaga in uh, Vancouver at the time, of course. But I ended up starting when I was a little older. So I think you had a very nice path to uh, to finding your life. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is, when, when I lived in the big city, there was Kramaga over there, but I mm. never really knew what it was, you know. Yeah. I wasn't that exposed to it. I don't think it's even, you know, it was, even, it was new even back then, even if even when we're talking about being in Israel and Kamagai's mm. an Israeli uh, self-defense uh, method, I was there, but I didn't really know what Kramaga meant. You know, other kids didn't know what it means. And today, you know, when you ask kids which martial art they, they go to, they all say Kamaga <laughs> without any, you know, without any questions. It's just, so that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I know it's always interesting, you know, like, because I mean, in most countries, if you're like a teenager and you're like, I want to be a martial artist for the rest of my life, it's 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 frowned upon. Is that still the case in, in somewhere like Israel or do people be like, oh, that's that's cool. Or they just expect stay in the military. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, um, it's not frowned upon, but it is not a very common thing. Hmm. I mean, there are people who, 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 you know, their main job is to be, um, you know, to be a martial arts instructor. Um but not many. Most people do it as a side job, as an extra job. You know, they, they work in high tech. And then after, you know, in the afternoons and the evenings, they, they just, you know, they, they teach, I don't know, karate, judo, whatever. But um, not many of them do it as a full time job. Not many of them are as crazy as we are. But <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So how long? Uh, what rank are you right now? Uh, fifth uh, Dan, black fifth belt. Dan, yeah. And how long yeah. did that, how long did that process take you? uh 20 22 years approximately Sounds about right <laughs> yeah yeah something like that <laughs> yeah. you know 20 22 years yeah because it's interesting like in the kramaga world uh depending on the organization that you're with they either have belt rankings as as was originally right. introduced or they have the patch or they have nothing and right. you know when i hear it took you 20 years to get your fifth dan which is appropriate uh, you know, it gives me hope because outside of Israel, at least, there's like uh, an image of Kramaga that it's a bit of a belt factory or there's no standards, especially in North America, unfortunately. Um, so maybe because I'm not actually that familiar with your organization, maybe explain for people who don't know the sort of process that it would take to get to that rank. Well, first of all, it's not just in North America. I know that in uh, in Europe, it's the mm. same thing. I was recently in France, and and um, when I asked people there how long it takes them to, to reach to get from you know a beginner's level from white belt to black belt, then they said it takes about two years, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> two two years in Israel, you don't even reach you know orange belt. So mm. what? Um, so yes, it's it's kind of uh, uh, different. Uh, my organization, by the way, is an organization that was, um, um, it's like, an, it's quite a new organization. We used to be a part of the Kalmaga Chaimzut organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, we split up somewhere along the way, a lot of politics, like all martial arts uh, <laughs> and all Kalmaga organizations have. Um, uh, we still stayed in touch, but uh, we're 
pretty, you know, we're kind of a small organi- organization over here. Mm. And um, when it comes to ranking, um, I can tell you that it's um, it's pretty difficult to, to you know, to pass the uh, grading tests. And the reason we do it is because we want people to be professional. Mm. We want people to understand that they earned this this ranking, this level by hard work. And, and you know, in here, I mean, I know in some places, Kama guy is more like a sport. Mm. In here, Kama guy is, is a sport, but it's also for survival. So mm. if, you, if you can't survive <laughs> under, you know, um, during your test, when, when we're checking you, uh, and we're asking you to do all kinds of simulations or, 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 you know, releases from different situations, then you don't deserve this belt. You don't deserve, you deserve this rank. Yeah. Uh, some of our students start as, as kids and then they grow up and they join the, the army and, you know, they meet Kamaga over there as well. And um, over there, it's, it's, it is survival. It, it is for survival. So it's, it's, uh, you know, so we want to, we want to make sure that if you, if you get there, if you ever have to use it, then you know that you, you know the proper Kamaga, that you've really earned uh, your rank. You really worked hard for it. Mm. And um, I don't think there's, I mean, usually people, it takes people between uh, seven to 10 years to get to black belts. And that's mm. kind of a short period of time. That's if someone is really, really working hard and, you know, training a lot. Mm. And um yeah, so when I when I hear people, you know, reaching uh, the the black belt and after two years or three years, it's kind of you know, kind of makes me feel weird, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, you... everyone makes fun of Taekwondo because they they're right. notorious for doing that. You know, I always just tell people, you know, the I don't <clears> know, are you familiar with the ten thousand hour rule? Uh, originally made famous yeah, by yeah, uh, Malcolm definitely, Gladwell. yes. So, it, contextually people don't uh, they don't understand that and it's like okay that's a, a full-time job 40 hours a week eight hours a day for five and a half years but here's the thing most who actually works a job like that so the reality it's like 10 years maybe right. um so i mean i think in any martial arts depending on the amount of training etc you know eight to 15 years is usually where you want to be looking at for a black belt and uh you know often i get people come in sometimes from other organizations and they're like, yeah, I got my yellow orange belt. I'm like, how long did you train? And they're like, oh, two months, a month. Oh, but I did a course. And I'm like, yeah, this is crazy. And then when I tell them, like, I don't rank recognition because of that situation in in my school, they're Mm -hmm. like, uh, and then they don't want to come back. (laughs) (laughs) I know I get a ton of messages from people saying they want to be part of my organization and they need a course and they have a Krav Maga instructor's uh, diploma. And I was like, where'd you get that from? And that's the real main problem. I mean, um, Kamaga used to be such a small thing. It used to be only in Israel. And then it kind of, you know, everything's just kind of burst out and, and everybody's doing Kamaga all over the world, but there's yeah. not that much supervision over it. So, and you mm-hmm. can't really get to a level where, get to a point where you've got supervision because all the, you know, top Kamaga instructors in Israel, they don't really want to decide who's going to be the one to take control over this because yeah. everybody wants to take control over this yeah. as i said politics um but that's okay you know um that's part of the that's 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 part of the process i mean i, I know a lot of people who are doing Krav Maga. I, I don't you know I'm, I'm i'm not disrespecting i'm I, I, I will never disrespect anyone, but I can see a lot of people saying they're doing Krav Maga and they don't really know that they're not doing Krav Maga. Mm. you know so yeah that's a sad thing 
By that's the way. actually a, a, well, not as a, it is a sad thing, but the, you bring up a good point, which is <clears throat> what is Kramaga to you? How how do you define it? Because there's lots of different ideas of what it is. Uh, so, what do you think it is? That's a great question. Um, I mean, you have. I mean, Kramaga has to be about self defense. Has to be about self defense, and self defense has a lot of things combined into it. So it's not just the techniques. It's not, not only how do you defend yourself against someone who's, who's stabbing you or hitting you with a stick or, or choking you, um, but it's also how do you fight? And um, not many people understand understand the combination between the things, okay? So some people are doing like, you know, Muay Thai and uh, there are no, um, I don't know, no groin kicks or stuff like that. And they still call it Kav Maga and they're only doing uh, sparring. And some people leave the sparring aside and they only do the techniques, which is okay. But you have to know how to hit someone and you have to know how to get hit uh, if by any chance you get to a point where you're going to, being an actual fight but that's i think the problem is what i what i told you earlier that people treat it as a sport mm. outside of of israel they don't really understand the uh the, the meaning of of doing kamaga for survival uh i mean you, you know you have you have special um uh classes for women over here and for teenagers and for little kids i work with four-year-old kids I don't know how many people around the world are doing this, but I work on self-defense techniques with four-year-old kids. Uh, you know, I, I keep telling their parents, we're going to do things that could happen to them in their, you know, in kindergarten. Someone mm. might pull their hair and might push them and they might fall. So I'm changing my, uh, my classes. I'm changing everything to match this age. So, I mean, Kamaga is dynamic, but you still have to maintain this, this whole self-defense plus you know, knowing how to defend yourself against, um, uh, you know, uh, punches, kicks, whatever. So it's, it's a combination of a few things, mm. um, but you have to be really careful. <laughs> and and it, it can't look like uh, karate, it can't look like any of these um, um, traditional martial arts because it's not, it's, it's yeah. I would say dirtier. I would say it's, uh, you know, they, they always say the karma guy's dirty because, you have to be efficient. You have to be. You have to to hit vulnerable points, and and you have to uh, take control of the opponent as fast as you can. And um, not many people do that. <laughs> Some people try to to make it look pretty, and and uh, you know make it look like a, like a, the self defense technique is like a kata from from you know that you take from from karate or yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting it's kind you of, say like because here nobody thinks of it as a sport, even if they're treating it as, as such you know for for me like when i do my testing it's like it's gonna suck for you guys because i'm preparing Good. you for real violence and if you can't Good. handle the test you know my the most extreme example i had and it was not my fault i had a student who came this isn't when i first started doing uh the school so we were playing around how do we how do we rank people how should we do stuff and we, we yeah. played around with the the idea of like a you know a six week two month crash course for an instructorship, which I yeah. I don't like doing anymore. It's just I think you need the years and years and years sort of thing. And a friend of my former colleague, who was a drill sergeant in the Canadian military and no. a hand to hand combat instructor in the Canadian military, came and did our course, <clears throat> and uh, he we were testing him, and halfway through the test he couldn't use the use of his right arm anymore. And at the time we didn't know what the heck happened. 
Um, but he, him being the crazy bastard he was, he finished. And I use that story <laughs> as the, the example to people. Um, what we did is we tied his hand behind his back and said, keep going mm -hmm. with one hand and you got to finish the test because that can happen. Now, what had happened, he'd actually cracked his vertebrae in the military, came, oh. did our two month course, and then it right in the test, it, it pinched a nerve and it just oh. went, it went crazy. Uh, but that's, you know, that's my expectations. And I tell people that like in, in class, if you get hurt, sit out, rest. But in the test, as long as it's not, I need to, I, like, as long as I don't need to send you to the hospital, you got to keep going, right. you know, yeah. and because, you know, vi real violence, especially in a place like Vancouver, people don't always know what real violence is. You know, people who complain about violence here, I'm like, this is one of the most peaceful cities in like the Western mm -hmm. world. Like, this is not a violent place. And uh, just the, the, the expectations and some people will do like the first test, you know, yellow belt. And then they never come back because they're like, I don't want to do another test. <laughs> like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> it's good and bad. Business is bad, but it's to, to, to water it down like a lot of the North American gyms have done where it's like a kickboxing class the whole time. Right. I'm like, yeah. I can't, can't do that. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not supposed to be pretty. It's not supposed to be fun. I mean, it is fun once yeah. you, you... Sometimes. You, yeah, you, yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. It, it's fun in a weird kind of way. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to explain. You know, there are people who, who you know, they, there are people who come to classes as well. You know, they also also in here, you know, they, they come to classes and I keep telling them, you know, you got... You're, you're starting right now, so we're going to do a few basic stuff, but get ready to to go over there and start sparring and everything, and you're going to get hit. And they say, yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. So, you know, it kind of, you, you have two types of people. Some people <laughs> start sparring, and then you never see them again. Some people start sparring, and they go like, oh, my God, this was so fun. And um, these are the type of people I like, yeah. by the way. <laughs> But the, yeah, the crazy I'm, ones. I'm, yeah, the crazy <laughs> ones. And uh, as I said, I work with kids as well. And, you know, mm. trying to trying to um, make a kid understand that they have to deal with pain mm. and that that even if they get hurt, they have to keep going is a difficult task. But I I'm, I'm happy to say that it's, it's working. I mean, they start sparring at, at uh, the age of, of you know they, they start sparring at seven years old eight years old mm. you should see them it's amazing it's amazing and they they i mean they kick each other and and you can hear the kicks you know they hit each other and it's and they smile and they laugh they mm. understand how to to handle this uh, situation it's not they don't get stressed they don't get you know they don't freeze which is exactly what i want mm. so um so yeah as you said just toning it down a little bit is kind of messing the whole point of doing kamaga yeah. And, um, but yeah, what can we do? <laughs> As I said, yeah. there's not really any supervision about it. The whole thing. Yeah. You know, the, mm -hmm. like for example, one of the, I started with one of the major organizations, you know, well-known globally. Uh, and it, uh, it got to the point where it was like, okay, if you want to really succeed, you have to come to Israel. Now I generally don't have a problem with that, but you know what? A lot of students in Canada are not going to do that. They're like, you mean to rank right. up? I need to fly to Israel? Not because they have an issue with Israel. It's just people can't afford that. And, you know, the two, three sure. weeks at times. And there was no real progression for people who were not willing to travel. The closest they would do is like, okay, you got to fly to the States. And I'm like, but you have someone in Canada who's representing you guys. Why Why do I need to go to the States? And a lot of the Israel, yeah, money, of course. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I find, well, there's two things. It was um, people don't realize 
Canada is huge and there's five cities and they're not close to each other and it costs right. a lot of money and uh, the airlines here are very expensive. For me to fly from like Vancouver to Toronto is way more expensive than for me to fly to, from LA to New York because of taxes wow. and that. So people just don't get, it's, it's not worth it for people unless they're going to yeah. make a living for it. And the other thing is that we were told that, oh, there's not enough money in Canada by multiple organizations. We don't want to do stuff in Canada. And I don't necessarily blame them because like any time I have flown someone over here, you know, they're used to doing like a hundred person seminar in Europe, um, you know, but I bring them here and they will be like 10 of my students. And it's like, I can't afford to bring people here if nobody's going to show up. Unless you're doing a sport here where there's, you know, huge draw. And even then, like, uh, jiu-jitsu is huge here. Like, I do jiu-jitsu as well. And uh, people will bring in world-renowned people. There's still 10, 15 people show up to the seminars. <laughs> and it's like, you, nobody can afford that if it's, I have to pay, like, five grand. So it got to the point where it's, like, from a business perspective, working with some of these big organizations, it's just not worth it. Yeah. And to be honest, my students didn't care. They're just like, I'm coming to see what you can do for me. So I find that's one of the issues globally is if, if local instructors are not qualified enough to rank people on their own, it's going to be a huge, huge growth problem. And I yeah. think, you know, that's something the Gracies did really well is they sent out their best black belts all over the world first, got it popular. And unfortunately for Kramaga, the, 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 the pathway was we're going to do, you know, week long instructor course or four day instructor course and spread it all over the world. And then right. we, we are where we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Maybe you can speak to that. Like what, uh, what do you guys, uh, first I, you didn't mention, just tell people the organization you're with specifically. Uh, and then what do you guys look for in an instructor? So, so my my organization is called uh, Kramaga Israel. The, it's called KMIL, um, which is the initials for Kramaga Israel. And um, actually, I, I can tell you that um, even here in Israel, I've got a lot of instructors, but they're not all working. They're not all doing anything with it. We've sent uh, a lot of students to to the instructors course, which is about a month here as well. But there are, you know, you have to be at least uh, blue belt, and you have to be um at least a few years in uh, Kalmaga before doing that before you you uh you can actually do this uh this course and um and some some of these uh people i have to tell you some of these people did this uh instructor's course and you know they opened up their own places their own uh uh classes and groups and then they decided that they don't want to do Kalmaga anymore and they just i mean I, I got one instructor who decided he's doing muay thai from now on because it was you know, more beneficial, yeah. you know, he earned more money by doing that and by doing Kav Maga. I don't know why, but that's what he decided. And uh, uh, one guy decided he's going to be a boxing instructor. I don't know how he got to that, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually searching up for years. I've been searching for someone who's, who's going to be as devoted to the actual Kav Maga world as, as I am and as my coach is. And maybe a few more uh, of my instructors are, and it's pretty difficult. Um, mm find someone who's actually going to you know take it take it seriously you know and uh and not be tempted to you know take other things and start doing like uh competitions which we never do we don't mm. touch this thing because competitions means 
rules and rules are and rules in Krav Maga are like uh, oil and water. It yeah. doesn't work together. So um, it's it's a problem because I think that um, people today are very influenced by, by what they see on TV. I mean, you know, UFC is very strong. MMA is very strong. Jiu-Jitsu is very strong right now. It's kind of rising and it's rising above the Krav Maga hype that was, you know, a couple of years back. And now everybody's thinking financially. So yeah, I'm a Krav Maga instructor, but I want to do this and this and this. And all of a sudden, you know, Krav Maga kind of disappears. Um, so so it's it's even even here it's difficult to find someone who's going to be devoted and and to stay loyal to the Krav Maga and not change things and not try to and you know you know be tempted to yeah all of a sudden send these students to do I mean I, I'm not I, I don't say that people shouldn't do boxing or Muay Thai or 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 jujitsu I, I did some I I did jujitsu I did a year of jujitsu and I really loved it but I have a major back injury, which mm. didn't allow me to do that because I'm a, I'm, yeah. I'm a very aggressive person. I know I don't look that way, but I'm a very aggressive person. And when I did the, uh, you know, when I when I did the jiu-jitsu, I was just, you know, I was really all over the place and I was doing whatever I could. I, I was, I, when, I, when I got into it, I was so, I got addicted to it because I like it. Yeah. And uh, it ended up with me getting injured. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm stopping that for a while I, I might come back to it later but i really wanted to do it to enrich my my whole world i wanted to to know a little more about the ground world world and and uh, and i love boxing i did a few boxing lessons i really love it and i do combine it in my classes but this is not you know the things that i'm going to test my students I, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to be you know i'm not going to um uh, it's, it's not going to be the main thing I'm going to test. Yes, I want to yeah. test you on sparring and everything, and I will teach you all these kicks, these crazy kicks that maybe you see only in uh, Taekwondo or whatever, but, you know, sparring-wise, <laughs> I want you to use the dirty Krav Maga, and uh, yeah. so I guess I'm, I'm, I'm still searching for uh, other instructors in, in my, inside my organization that are going to stay, you know, loyal, as I said, yeah. to the to the true Krav Maga. <laughs> I think difficult. that's, it's, it is difficult. I mean, there's the business aspect, uh, you know, if you want. Yeah, move... as I said, you know, as I told you before, not, I think my students are also looking at, looking at me and at my coach as, as an example. Hmm. I mean, we do it as our, our main job. This is my job. This is the only thing I do. This is how I make money by teaching Krav Maga. And I teach every day except for Saturday and for hours. And, um, but I love it. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's great. And I keep telling my students when I send them out to an instructor's course, I keep telling them, you don't have to do it as a main job. You can just take one class or two classes and this is it. And just put all your work into these two classes and do whatever you want afterwards. Mm. But I think it's difficult for people to see it, as you said, as, as a financial, you know, as something that will give them pleasure as well as make them earn money. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. And it, it can be tough. Like psychological, I found like, cause I, you know, I do jujitsu as well. I do. That's my sort of hobby on the side, but I yeah. found Krav Maga, gets very repetitive very fast and without the the sure. competitive outlet a lot of people have issues uh, one other thing i noticed is let's say i get a really young athletic student you know and i'm teaching a wide range of students at my class you know middle-aged people some athletic people some not and i find the really athletic people they they get bored at a faster pace 
than uh, non-athletic people because they hear, you know, on the internet, Krav Maga is hardcore. We're going to kick the shit out of each other. And I'm yeah. like, you know, we can't do that every class because <laughs> um, then you walk away with all the injuries. And, uh, and then they, they usually find they want to go do something with a high-level athletic competitive athlete. Like I have some, they do boxing or they do jujitsu yeah. or they do something. And sometimes they come back and sometimes they, they don't want to because they are intrinsically motivated by that feeling they get at the, the high level competition, you know, and I, you get the, the really athletic students and they, I have one student, he probably won't mind. He, he did uh, competitive baseball, right? So he never made it to the major leagues, but he made mm -hmm. it just below. So he's naturally athlete and, and competitive and he's training with a lot of, uh, you know, my other students, he's a big guy. And uh, I'm like, Hey, you know, you have nothing to prove. You're like six foot something. You're a giant athlete. You don't need to go that hard with some of these yeah. other students. He's like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going hard. I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> and then he said to me one day, he said, it's because he's used to competing at that high level. Yeah. And he, he didn't make it. So he doesn't see himself as that. And then I, I got him to do jujitsu um, as well. And he was going with this, uh, he's a white belt and he was going with this purple belt who's even bigger than him. And the purple belt, I noticed after a while, said, okay, I was just watching them. And the purple belt would just immediately double leg him, take him to the ground like every single time. And he's a gentle giant normally. And he was just slamming my student to the ground. And I asked him, I was like, so what's going on? He's like, because that guy doesn't know how to dial it down and I don't want to be stuck. <laughs> so I just take him down and end it now. Yeah. You know, so a lot of students I find with Krav Maga, when they can't get that high level com competition, they're just like, I'm bored. I want to yeah. do something else. I don't know if that's the same for you guys, because you've been doing this uh, probably longer than me, I imagine. Um, but I, I mean, it's that psychological aspect, other than the business side, because a lot of people, they want the money, but it's that psychology of they get bored or the fear. I find some people get hurt once and then they're scared. But I think that's uh, generic to all martial arts. rather. Yeah, than yeah, 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 you know, yeah. I think it's the people factor, I think. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we do have we do have um, our our classes are pretty intense. You know, they they yeah. we always have sparring. We always have pad work. We they always yeah. go out and they're like they're half dead at the end of the of the class, and uh, we we try to we always try to bring something new. I mean, we keep it you know the 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 way we want it to be. We still keep the traditional traditional. We changed a few things to mm. to to match our reality. But we still keep the, you know, the Krav Maga techniques as they are, but we we just, you know, kind of mix things up, you know, okay, so we're going to do a lot of simulations, we're going to do, you know, pad work, and you, while you're working on the pad, someone is going to attack you, and, you know, we're going to mix a few things up just to make it a little more interesting, so that's how we, we kind of create this uh, um the, the the you know a kind of a, of a situation where people do want to come back and they do enjoy the sparring part uh, but as you said um i don't know i mean i guess maybe um in here when when someone chooses to go to krav maga they understand that there are no competitions so they're not non-competitive persons uh, people uh, you know in 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 their basic so 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 they don't really seek for it. So they know how to tone it down when they're working with someone who's uh, lower rank and how to, you know, 
uh, hit harder or go go all the way when we're working with someone uh, who's uh, higher uh, ranked or, or bigger than them yeah. um, which I, I find kind of nice I keep telling them that as well I mean it's it's great that you know how to to work as hard as you can but it's also great to know how to tone it down and you know control yourself and and work in front of someone who's you know smaller than you or, or new to the class and you know kind of like work on your technique work on on your accuracy um, so I can I can definitely say that my my students understand that and uh, they 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 really like it they really like this sparring part they really like the 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 intense the intense work that we do during our classes um, I did have a few students but that's mainly teenagers who left because they wanted yeah. the uh, competition aspect so yeah. they they kind of started doing other things but I respect that that's okay no problem yeah. I'm not a competitive person myself. So, yeah. so when I was a kid and I was in judo, I just couldn't stand it because I was a really strong kid. And, and um, the reason I left was because, you know, over there, you, you got categories, you got weight categories and everything. And I was always heavy and, and always strong and always, you know, always danced. So, so they kept putting me, I was like, I was five or six years old and they, they put me with a 10 year old kid because I was, I was crazy. And mm. what can I do with a 10 year old kid if I'm six years old? I mean, I, I kept losing so I, cause he's got, he's better at the techniques and he's taller than me. And so we weigh the same, so, so what? And I just, I was frustrated about it. And I said, no, I, I don't like that. And mm -hmm. when I joined Krav and I, I realized that it doesn't matter who you are, if you're a woman, if you're a man, if you're tall, if you're short, if you're heavy, if you're not, you use what you have. The, the tools you have are your hands and your legs and just use them wisely. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I absolutely I mean, love that. And to be fair, I think judokans are crazier than Krav people, like getting tossed in <laughs> your head. Like yeah, I do I a little, so. a little I bit. I hate falling. Yeah. I hate falling. I hate falling. I hate it. Yeah. So I don't know how to do it. I don't know. Yeah, no idea. It actually brings up one of the other sort of uh, interesting is is uh, aspects of Krav Maga is how do you guys integrate sort of the grappling or the judo? So like. My approach, uh, for example, well, first I should say when I started Krav Maga, I didn't know anything about grappling because the organization that I was with was like, no, no ground. Mm -hmm. And then with the, you know, the popularity of grappling uh, and I realized like I did, a, I started doing jujitsu and then I did a seminar with a, a woman who's about your size, but she's like world champion. And I just watched her like destroy men black belts like one after another. And I was just like, wow, uh, if somebody that good gets a hold of you on the ground, I'm screwed. So, yeah. And then I had that sort of crisis is like, how do we teach this without losing the crowd? Like, ah. So my my strategy is I introduce grappling a little bit at the right. mid, you know, middle levels. Just here's the positions. Here's where you don't want to be. Uh, here's how you get up. What's your strategy? And then I tell people. If you want to get a black belt from me in Krav, you have to go do grappling somewhere else, whether it be jujitsu or judo or wrestling, because I have I have to teach you so much stuff. I, if I spend all the time on grappling, we're not doing Krav Maga. So I need to see that you're open minded and will train something else comparatively. Uh, like if you did high school wrestling your whole time, I'd be like, hey, that's good enough. Or if you, you know, you mm -hmm. get a blue belt in jujitsu, which could take you the whole, you know, you know couple yeah of years i'll be like good now, now you like a blue belt in jiu-jitsu is usually sufficient enough with krav maga to hold off even a high level grappler uh so how do you guys approach that integration of that stuff without becoming a grappling class 
I actually really like the way you work because the the reason the the, the main reason I went out and I did the jujitsu was because I felt like there's not enough grappling and not enough groundwork in Kabmaga. And um, I really, really do think that we need to incorporate a lot more of these things into our classes. And um, it's difficult because I don't have all the knowledge. I mean, I did only one year and I was really, really into it. And I really wanted to, to reach to a level where I also, well, where I can also do like the instructor's course in uh, jujitsu and then combine it, you know, and even, yes, even, even put it into our grading tests, as, as you said, even, even uh, letting them learn a few of the, you know, basic positions and how do you get out of it and how do you control your opponent? What do you do if someone is better than you on the ground? Um, because it is important because a lot of people do know how to work on the ground and and crowd people don't <laughs> we only kick we when we get to the ground as you said people say don't fall don't don't get to the ground if you're on the ground then end yeah. of story and it yeah. can't be that way because we're supposed to give you a solution to everything i mean we're self-defense uh, nobody can tell me that I, I can't fall down there's no such thing what if i did fall down and uh so uh i'm definitely working on um maybe even uh, changing a little bit of the syllabus and, and putting some, some grappling and some groundwork into it. Mm. And um, I'm still trying to figure out a way to do it without getting any more injuries yeah. <laughs> myself. Yeah. Um, but there are a few things that I did, uh, did uh, incorporate and I did change a few, few techniques uh, because I saw amazing, you know, just small moves in, in Jiu-Jitsu that I said, oh my God, this is totally changing the technique that I need to embrace that and, and use that in certain things. And, uh, and the students do feel the difference. So, um, so yeah, I, I really, really want to get to a point where I manage to incorporate somehow into my classes as well. And uh, it's, it's super important, super important. Yeah. That's what I said yeah. about the Kramaga being dynamic. I do think that we, we as Kramaga instructors need to change the way we, we teach and the way we look at things. And if, if more people are doing um, MMA and Jiu-Jitsu, then, we should try to think how to deal with these people as well. So we need to go out there and try jujitsu and try grappling and, and, you know, whatever we can to, to enrich our world and, and be able to deal with these people as well. Mm. And that's the beauty of Kamaga. It's not, you know, as I said, it's not traditional as karate. You can't, where you can't go this way or this way. You have to go that way. Yeah. Um, so uh, great job <laughs> really yeah Working i really like the way it, you yeah. think i really like the way you do yeah yeah i know it's uh yeah. it's a difficult process yeah i know yeah. but it's, it's, well it's, it's it's for me what i found is i'm not a big guy i'm like five foot six i don't do the meters thing um <laughs> uh, i'm you know 160 pounds i'm not athletic i've never been athletic and i you know i always had instructors who were just like naturally gifted athletes or huge and I found in the self-defense world, not just Krav Maga, but self-defense, a lot of instructors are big guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, you know, they'd be teaching stuff. And I'm like, I cannot do that. It does not work. It me. does not work. And, right. You know, the classic, you're just not doing it right. I'm like, no, physics, man. I just cannot do that. And I started right. finding I had to, what does work for a smaller person? And then sometimes I'd, ha I'd be taught a new technique by an organization or instructor. They do it perfectly. And I'm like, I actually can do the technique just fine. Um, but then I start teaching it to the students and I'm like, this is a this is a high level technique. And if I can't get a middle aged woman to kind of be able to do it, I'm like, I don't think right. that should be something I'm teaching. 
Uh, yeah. You know, if people want to do stuff on the side, that's no problem. But, you know, some techniques people take out of their curriculum because like this doesn't work. But then I'm watching the small people. I'm like, but it, it actually they need that technique because it works against bigger people. Um, you know, a lot of the like, you know, groin strike elbow stuff. Yeah. So, some organizations have taken that out because they're like, it's not practical. But then I've watched small people get stuck with their arms pinned and that's their only option. And I'm like, I don't know why they would take it out because the big guys, I guess they just like muscle out. Uh, and, and that's I find it's that is a really challenging for especially with so many instructors who have not been doing it for 10, 15 years or don't have right, a wide yeah. variety. They just randomly either take stuff in or, or take stuff out and they don't really know the why. And then they yeah. have trouble justifying it. And then you're like, why'd you take that out? And they're like, well, because it doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> you know, consequently, I've done I've done uh, some self-defense seminars with really well-known martial artists. They're not self-defense people. And they're teaching a technique. And I'm like, that is not going to work. And they're like, of course it works. And then I, I see what's going on is their, their demonstrated student is complying every time. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I know that doesn't work, but I'm not going to tell them that. Like, uh, yeah. it's just that ability to integrate techniques from one style into a self-defense curriculum without it becoming something else is, is such a hard skill. And I just yes. find a lot yeah. of people cannot do it very well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that after after we split, after we we, I mean, the Kamaga Hanzut organization was a yeah, really big organization, and then just one day everything fell apart, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of big instructors just kind of you know we all split up, and each and every one of us opened their own own organization, and as part of this, uh, the first thing we did was to sit with the syllabus, with the curriculum, and 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 start thinking, okay, what can we take you know, what can we just, you know, ditch and, and, and leave and what can we add to the, to the uh, curriculum? And, and we, we've changed a few things mm -hmm. and, uh, and just, just because we, we actually thought that a few things did not work and uh, um, maybe it was good for, you know, 40, 40 years ago, mm -hmm. but today it won't work. And, uh, and we still keep doing that. That's why I keep, I keep saying, Kamaga is that it, it's not the same as it was. I, I know that there are some instructors who are who insist on on doing the Kamaga the, the way it was seventy years ago. Okay, but we we have to uh, adapt to the, this the, the the reality, and uh, and and here in Israel it, it happens really fast. You know, you you've got new kind of attacks. It's all of a sudden, people run outside with knives or whatever, and you have to find out how you have to figure out how to to deal with these situations as fast as you can. And um, so, so I do think it has to be dynamic. I do think you have to, to, you know, once in a while you have to stop everything and then just say to yourself, okay, I have to change a few things. I have to add a few things. I have to, you know, push aside a few things or even decide that a, a certain things are good for, you know, maybe a, this person and certain things are good for this person. So I'm going to have like two versions of this uh, technique mm -hmm. and I'm going to explain to my students why this is good and why, when, when I'm, when am I going to use this and when am I going to use that? So uh, that's, that's, that's basically what we do over here. Yeah. I mean, it's still Krav Maga. It's yeah. still self-defense. There are a lot of techniques that are the same as other, you know, Krav Maga organizations, but there are a few touch-ups, you know, a mm -hmm. few things that we've added and the, that the, the really I, I feel this especially when I when I go outside of Israel and I do like seminars in 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 Europe for example I mean I haven't done that many but uh, this year I was in Spain and I was in France 
and um, and you know I just teach them whatever I do. I mean, I'm 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 not here to convince anyone. I'm just I'm teaching you the things that I do. And all of a sudden, you see that you see that a few fine tuning, you know, just a little bit of fine tuning, and and so all of a sudden the person looks at you and his eyes just open up and he goes like, "Oh my God, this this technique is totally different than what I've." I mean, I didn't believe in this technique, and all of a sudden it works because I understand better because, you know, because your leg was here instead of here, so this time it worked, or or you know, so yeah. you have you have to change a little, you have to to adapt to the the reality, and I, and as you said, I do think that grappling and groundwork has to be part of Krav Maga, yeah. and it has to happen fast. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's you so know, I, I really appreciate it that you you've, you've done that, and I really appreciate it that you you send your student out there to to learn these things. I, I think it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, well, that's you know, part of it comes from. What, it's just my history is like when I started I had a business partner and they were the martial artists more than me mm. they were the uh the the more physically gifted than me and so I kind of relied on that but as is with a lot of things uh and I was like I would say I was the better proficient Krav Maga instructor for mm -hmm. whatever reason but we had a falling out as Krav Maga happens and I got stuck not stuck. I mean, I chose uh, with the school and I'm like, shit, my skill level is not where it really needs to be in order to be running a school. So I had to look around and, and see what can I learn grappling. I picked up grappling like I'm a brown belt in jujitsu now. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, I do seminars in uh, with, you know, I did a, like a Jeet Kune Do Dan and a Santo seminar. Let's see what these people are teaching. And you know, even if it's just once or here or do boxing seminar and you just see, okay, what are they teaching that I like? Mm -hmm. Even if it's just a teaching methodology, because, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. like, like say for Krav Maga, I go to, I'll, you know, you go learn Krav Maga with other people. I don't know what it's like for you. And I'm like, you're not teaching me anything new uh, or I don't really think you know what you're doing. Or sometimes if I see everyone's doing the same thing, I'm like, mm, either that technique really works or they're just teaching it for the sake of teaching it. And you have to figure yeah. out which is which is what. Yeah. Uh, or sometimes like I was, you know, like most Krav Maga people never go to the ground and it was in my head. I wouldn't teach those techniques. And then I was training with one of my, uh, someone I learned under, uh, Amit Himmelstein, and yeah. if you know him. And he he did wrestling Sanchao in in China, and his approach. I mean, he's amazing as a wrestler. But it's just he was teaching this one technique uh, where you, if you sort of get grabbed, you take your leg behind them and you drop them to the ground, kind of like with the people's elbow, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with the, uh, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And I, it's a technique I'd seen before. And I had just always been told never, never do that, never do that, never go to the ground. It's stupid. And I started playing around with that technique with my students. And I was like, I ended up putting it in my curriculum. And the reason was, again, the small people. If the small yeah. person is with a much bigger person, all the other stuff fails. And then they would always panic and drop them to the ground and get on top. And I'm like, okay, yeah. well, I'm using that technique then. Um, so the, all the conventional wisdom about never go to the ground, I'm like, again, if you're big, you can stay on your feet, but if you're little, you need to take away, you know, that's the whole, where the Gracie's came from was you need to take away the advantage of the physics, you know, of generating mm -hmm. power on the feet. <clears throat> uh, now, of course, if they're a grappler too, you have a problem and that's where you right, need to have yeah, some yeah. skill. But the, the reality is the average person who's in a self-defense situation is probably not a high level grappler. So when you drop them to the ground, 
they're going to be caught off guard real fast. Uh, you know, their head will hit the concrete. And, and as long as that person who does the technique knows to scramble right away and get up, then it, it's a very effective technique. But I've been told my whole time, don't do that. Don't do it. It's a terrible technique. But it works, actually. I use stuff like that in jujitsu as well. So if it works in against other grapplers, then it's like, well, it works. <clears throat> it's weird that they told you it's not going to it's not working. I mean, I, I was when I had my black belt test, they tested me on this, uh, this yeah. particular uh, technique. Yeah, yeah. Now, it could be so, I mean, some of the original organizations I was with, I just never got to the grappling component because uh, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, or some of the other instructors, I know they hate the ground, so they're just like, don't do it because they don't like it. They, <laughs> they don't like to teach it. And when it gets to the ground stuff, it would be like, hey, we're doing a ground stuff, 20 minutes, and then everyone is terrible, and I'm like choking everyone out. And it's like, uh, <laughs> we have a problem, guys. <laughs> so, every time I have a training camp, every time I have a training camp, I, I tell them, okay, guys, you know what? We are going to do an hour and a half inside the as part of this training camp, an hour and a half is going to be de dedicated to groundwork, to grappling and groundwork. Things that I remember from jujitsu, they yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah. And then we do some, you know, we do some sparring, and then I tell them, okay, go to the ground, and they love it. They enjoy every minute of it, and then you see how it builds them as different, different, you know, fighters than they were before, and it gives them some you know, an extra confidence. And uh, that's the most important thing for me. I want my students to be confident. I want them to go out there and understand, as you said, and, and know that whatever they learn, they can use it. It works. Yeah. If someone is doubting a certain technique, then either that technique doesn't work or I did a, a really bad job at explaining this technique. Mm. Maybe you didn't understand it. So I keep, I, I have to say that I keep checking myself. We keep checking ourselves. It's not just me. It's my coach as well. Mm. We keep checking ourselves all the time, all the time, all the time. And when I see that a certain technique is not working for two, three, four, five students, then something is not okay. I mean, this technique might not work. Might, we, we may need to, to extract it and not use it anymore and maybe change it uh, a little bit. And, and that's what we do. And I think it's okay. I think it's okay. Yeah. Well, as long as it works, yeah. as long as it's effective, then why not? Yeah. Well, I, like when I'm testing, I tell my students, like, there's a technical portion. I want you to show me you do know the curriculum. But when it comes to all the pressure testing, I'm like, follow the principles. Don't right. you know, die and you're fine. Like, yeah. 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 That's the same. I like it because we, we kind of, <laughs> I like you. I, I like the way you think and I like the way you, you, you act because that's exactly what I do. I mean, I do test them and there is the curriculum and then we, we hit to a certain point where I tell them, okay, now you're going to stand still and your partner is going to walk around you and he's going to attack whatever you, however he wants. Yeah. Now, I don't care what you do. I don't care. I'm putting down the pencil and I'm putting down a pen in my and my pad. You know, it's, I'm not touching anything. I'm not writing down anything. I just want to see you react yeah. and see you use it. You know, react wisely. I don't want you to get stressed. I don't want you to freeze. I just want you to react. Yeah. I mean, if you're hitting him in the stomach or or you know or you know your kicks are flying everywhere where they're not accurate, then dude, you're not you're not okay. But uh, if if you are using the, the 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 techniques, if you are doing the right things, then that's great. That means that you are a true Krav Maga fighter. Yeah. That's that's the main thing. That's the most important thing. They're not yeah. going to remember how many, uh, yeah. you know, they're not going to remember how to, you know, I, someone's going to choke me. I'm, even I'm not going to do the exact same technique. Come on. The, things are different out there. I know. I, I volunteer in the police here in Israel, and I've, I've seen violent situations, mm. and 
it's nothing like what we we've got in uh, in classes but we do have an amazing amount of knowledge that that is good for us mm. i mean I, i can give you one example i mean um you know how, how how we got this this cavalier with this these these takedown techniques where you use the hand you you twist the wrists and everything mm. and um i have to say that in here in the israeli police they teach kamaga but it's not exactly what the police officers need and um during the covid pandemic when it was really really uh you know just the beginning of it and and we were on lockdown i used to go out and i did a lot of of shifts in the police just to <laughs> breathe some fresh air and go out of the house so it was my excuse to you yeah. know leave the house i was all by myself on the road i was just driving to the police station i was like i'm the only car outside yeah. but it was, it was great crazy so there were a few holidays back then and and mm. parties were forbidden and uh during one of the holiday we actually uh stopped a party where teenagers were and they all drank a lot of alcohol and they were all drunk and they were crazy crazy kids um awful kids And one of them hit uh, an officer, mm. a high-ranked officer, by the way. So, uh, and then it kind of developed to a huge fight. And three police officers were jumping on him. They were standing in front of him, by the way. They were standing mm. in front of him and they tried to control him. And the guy was drunk and he was huge. He was a teenager, but he was huge. He was like 17 or 18, something like that. But he was, he was a giant. And I was standing there and I was looking at them and they were just standing in front of him trying to grab his hands and he wouldn't let them. So I just, you know, I just stepped behind him, took his hand, twisted down, yeah. put my, you know, kind of sweeped his legs with my leg. Mm. And then next thing I remember, I was sitting on his back and his hands are in my hands. And I was looking at my partner and I said, cuff him. <laughs> they said, what did you do? And I said, I was working with my head without, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not trying to get here. I'm not going to stand in front of him. He's hitting everyone. I'm not going to stand in front of him when he's just throwing his uh, fists and his kicks in the air. I'm going to be smarter than that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so, I mean, we have to use what works. We have to be smart. We have to use our knowledge the best way we can. And, uh, and as you said, I mean, I, w- I want my students to, to know the curriculum, but, I also want them to know how to get out of a situation where things go wrong. Yeah. And we, so, we work on that a lot. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. Problem solving. It's a, uh, oh, I, cause I want to talk about a whole bunch of things that you brought up. Cause I want to get into the policing thing in a sec, but uh, you know, I don't know if you were aware, I served in the IDF like 10 years ago. Really? Just, yeah. Like an idiot. Oh, I, was, wow. I, uh, I was like, Respect. I'm going to go over to Israel and do that. <laughs> <laughs> um oh my I, you know i was uh i was in givati for almost two wow. years and uh you know for me it was not the best experience and i yeah, i talk about not. it because i have <clears throat> aside from it being the military it's the idf is very difficult for those who don't know and for you know, most have, people it's yeah. not such an exciting and fun no. uh, experience by the way <laughs> no <laughs> there and, are uh, very very few people who love their uh, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. experience Especially when uh, you're 18 and you just you, you just got out of, of high school and the, the, the last thing that interests you is to put on you know an M16 and run in the ditches and, yeah. and shoot other people and get you know and well, you sleep know, it's in the thing because like I mean as I went when I was 22 actually so I was older which makes it even harder to deal with the little little kids yeah, you got little kids running around um, <laughs> Your but, commander uh, is younger than you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was even older than some of the lieutenants. And they usually left yeah. me alone because they're like, uh, you've been to like some college and stuff and I, whatever, <laughs> you do whatever. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it's for me, one, I'm not 
Israeli. I didn't grow up there. My parents are not Israeli. So there's a bit of mm -hmm. culture shock for me. I, my Hebrew, I have no Hebrew anymore because I had to learn it on the fly when I was there. Oh. Um, but I learned some valuable lessons from it. It, it, it did end up enhancing my Krav Maga because I understand military and I understand the, the firearm great. stuff now. That's great. But one of the most valuable lessons that I actually got out of it was the people that you think are going to perform under stress often do not. And the That's people true. who you would never think perform well under stress perform really well. You know, like the Spitzim, you know, the guys who are like dude, yeah, checking all yeah. the boxes, getting promoted really fast. And then we had this one extra. Uh, I was in between wars and we were after they changed all the training after Lebanon, too. And they, one of the exercises we did was, uh, you know, the full regiment exercise. And they took away our food for like yeah. four days, three or four days, because it happened in, <clears throat> in Lebanon. And they kept lying as they do. Oh, the food's coming. The food's coming. And, you know, by the second and a half day, you started to see all these, you know, Spitzim who were like the best students fall apart mentally. They just could not handle it. And yeah. uh, I for me, the entire experience was miserable. So I was like, this is this is no different than any other day for me. <laughs> And it just, you know, I had I'm this just hungry. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had this wake up call and just watching people that I thought were good leaders fall mm -hmm. apart and then watch the watch who actually did well under those things. And it was a valuable lesson um, for me because I'm like, huh, like you will only know who can really perform when you push them to their limits and take things away from them. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, you know, I tell my students, unfortunately, the only way you're going to know how you're going to really perform is you have to be experiencing violence, which don't don't go look for. But, you know, that's the sad thing about it is you really don't know until you know. And and a lot of people, you know, I, I just don't know <laughs> how are they going to perform? I think it's also how you um, how you mentally grasp uh, your your ability to to handle the situation. I mean, I think that people who are certain that they will always be able to, you know, handle any, any, any kind of violent situation are those who are going to go down in a real situation. And if yeah. you still have that small doubt in your head that keeps you alert all the time, and um, uh, that then you're going to perform well. I mean, because if you walk around, you, you're like, nobody's going to mess with me. I can, I can deal with whatever you throw at me, then you're going to go down because, you know, you're like a, I don't know. You you don't even have the. Uh, I don't even know how to how to put it in words. But I think that if if you're always doubting yourself, and uh, uh, and you you understand that there is a slight situation, you know, it's a slight chance. Maybe not even a slight chance. Maybe maybe even it's a 50-50 chance that you won't be able to deal with this person and that you will get hurt and that maybe things are going to go wrong. Then you're going to perform better because mm. um, you're not really. It's not that you're not believing in yourself, but you're also not living under the illusion that that you're going to be able to deal with everyone. And I can tell you that, you know, in my well, I, I can share with you that sometimes, you know, my worst nightmares are that people I, I actually dream about it every now and then that people are attacking me and I don't know what to do and I can't mm. do anything. And every time I wake up after one of the, these dreams, I, I'm like, I mean, it's okay. Because mm. maybe one day it will happen, but I will. I, I always have to remember that 
sometimes you know that, that when I go out there and if, if God forbid something like this happens, then there is a slight chance that I won't make it, that I won't survive this. So I think that you know having this in your subconscious all the time uh, makes you fight harder and makes you uh, see things differently and makes you um, perform differently, I think. Mm. Um, if you if you understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you're not always sure that you're gonna win, uh, that you're gonna, you know, survive. Yeah. And uh, I, I always have this doubt. Every, every time I see, like, uh, every time I, I enter, uh, uh, you know, some, some kind, it sounds like I always enter a violent situation. It sounds like I, yeah. I keep <laughs> looking for trouble wherever I go. But <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but every time, even when we're sparring, even when we were sparring, you know, it doesn't mm. matter who stands in front of me and what his ranking is. I always keep telling myself he might hit me. Yeah. <laughs> it might might not work what I want, you know, because sometimes I'm tired, sometimes I'm not focused, and um, I'm not always standing in front of people and sh bragging and showing off. Or, and yeah. So I think it's it's also a, a perception kind of thing, you know. I, I think it's how you you see things mentally that that uh, yeah, affects your a, performance. The human factor. Do you know who uh, John Danaher is by any chance? Yeah. Yeah. He's a he's an amazing jujitsu coach. I actually I was fortunate enough to do a lesson with him once. Um, but uh, he said something on an interview. It was like one of the reasons his guys are so successful in competition is it's how he's training them. He, he noticed because the guy's like he used to be a philosophy professor at NYU, so the guy's like a deep thinker. Mm. Um, one sec. Uh, and he was saying that a lot of people in competition, this jujitsu competition, are trying so hard not to lose, right. they don't win. And so one of the things that he did was he, one of the, if he's teaching new people, he he teaches them all the worst positions first, like being on the bottom, and get them psychologically comfortable with that position. And then they drill. He drills them constantly so that they're comfortable getting out of the worst position so that in competition they don't have a problem giving a position to go for mm -hmm. a, a risky submission because they know even if they screw it up they're comfortable in a bad position and can get out now that is obviously competition you don't want to intentionally put yourself in a bad position in, in life or death but that Sort but of you should be prepared yeah, yeah you should be prepared yeah yeah definitely so, so yeah. you're not like panicked oh, i'm gonna end up in a bad position right. and then you screw up and then you don't know what to do and now you're panicked again you know and i yeah, think right. uh, pre-covid i i competed jujitsu um and i think i was doing that i was trying not to lose and <laughs> in my last big competition i made a mental shift and then of course COVID hit and i couldn't but it made a huge difference in just how i'm doing jujitsu is you know, stop trying just to lose, uh, not lose and to try to actually progress and win and don't worry about the, where you are. And then you find better ways to solve those problems. But that mental game, whether it be in literal self-defense, which is way harder or competition mm -hmm. is uh, it's, I think that's the thing that people struggle with often the most, because it's easy to learn the techniques, right? But combining it with strategy and the mental headspace, that's, that's a whole nother game. I think totally. Yeah. So, so how do you guys approach that? Because I know, uh, well, I'm, I'm I tend to be more in, a very intellectually uh, inclined, so I like to talk about the psychology and the concepts and a little bit of philosophy. But I know mm -hmm. there's an attitude in Kramaga, particularly amongst a lot of Israelis, they're like, no talking, just punching. Like we 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 don't have no one's here to pay you to listen to you talk. But I'm like, but they need to understand. 
there's a so, lot of, mm. of philosophy and a lot of psychology going into yeah. our classes all the time. And, and you know, right. sometimes I've got classes, especially teen classes, when the teenagers are in and they have a lot of questions and I don't mind. I mean, I let them ask questions. We can, we can you know, spend like seven, eight, nine minutes, which is a lot from the, the session, just on talking and, and answering questions. And mm. I think it really builds them. I think it's really important. I, I want them to understand. I want them to build a, a state of mind. And, and uh, I do want them to understand the, uh, you can call it philosophy behind Kamaga and uh, the psychology that goes into it. It is important to me. It's very important to me. And I, and we, we work on it all the time. We, we do it a lot. We do a lot of talking during the classes. I'm not saying that we, we only talk, we work. Mm. But if there's a question or a doubt or, you know, or, uh, or I need to stop and explain to them what happens when they are in a stressful situation and how the, the, the mind works and how the body works, then we're going to do that. And they're asking questions and they want to understand, they want to know. And uh, I, I think it's very important. I think it's it's a huge part of of, of understanding uh, Kama Maga. Hmm. It's it's inseparable. You can't separate it from from classes. You you can't just keep them, you know, learning techniques and not having the to not having uh, uh, to you know not understanding so not understanding the psychology behind uh, dealing with a violent situation. What happens to you when someone attacks you? Uh, so uh, it's important. And, and, and again, I, I do it not only with the teenagers and the adults, I, I do it with the kids as well. Mm. We have entire conversations on of what happens to your body when, when you get stressed, when you get hit, uh, when you freeze, how do you, how do you get out of it? What, what do you do? And, uh, we, we, we play around with it all the time. We talk mm. about it all the time. And, uh, it's it's really important. They really really and I, I f and I feel like it's it it's actually um, even making them love it even more. You know, mm. feeling more connected to it because they they understand the depth. They they get like another another level of understanding um, to the Kamaga techniques. Yeah. So so I I do think it's important, and we do it all the time. We do it yeah. all the time. That's good. It's like, cause Kramaga, like I get a lot of people who come in and they hate when I'm talking and they don't like it. I granted, I say things that people uh, don't always like cause I'm in a very left leaning city talking about violence and the reality of the world. And they don't like yeah, it. Yeah. It's different. I, said, I know. You know, and they had in their head that all they're going to do is kick the shit out of each other. And here I'm talking <laughs> about psychology or a world event that has impacted people and uh they're like why are you talking about this and for me it's like self-defense you know uh the classic emmy lichtenfeld quote uh so one may walk in peace and i'm like that includes your mental health that includes right. not get, not getting overwhelmed by covid like so i'll talk about you know the up-to-date science in class sometimes because i want my students not to get overwhelmed mentally because i'm looking at people who are like act they're losing their shit because of what's going on in the world and i'm like listen if you understand what's going on politically and scientifically and and this you'll actually calm down because now it's right. not it's not confusing to you or you know i don't always do that but <clears throat> just an, a, the idea that self-defense is so much more than the techniques and i feel like kramaga has a bad image globally that if it's not punching and killing we, we don't do talking and it just throws people off when they come in 
and it just happens to be a class or I want to talk about, you know, uh, you know, combat philosophy or, hey, this thing just happened and I want you guys to understand it a little better. Like the, um, the cl- uh, last year, the George, George Floyd thing, nobody mm-hmm. wanted to talk yeah. about it. And, and, and personally, I found even use of force experts were just parroting what they heard in the media because they didn't want to offend people. And I, and I wanted to actually break down what, like uh, a case study, what actually happened. And I would say stuff that people find offensive. And I'm like, well, is your opinion just what you heard in the media? Because I've, I'm teaching use of force. And I have a classic story. For example, I was at a party. I was drunk. This small girl started throwing bottles and smashing shit. And I ended up having to take her down and I I had put my knee on her neck because she was violent mm-hmm. and she went to sleep and I lifted my knee up and uh, she woke back up started swinging again I just put it down gently and then she fell asleep and I did this for about 20 minutes till the cops came and arrested her and I'm like listen I have done that drunk out of my mind to a girl half my size and there were no problems so objectively if you know how to do those techniques you can you can you can do them the problem is most people don't know how to do them and there is a difference and nobody wanted to have that conversation the amount of like hate i was getting from people for even suggesting that that technique should not actually be banned people just need to know how to do it properly i mean the details of that case aren't great but just people didn't want to have that conversation and to me, that's part of self-defense is we're talking use of force. Is it actually a, a good technique or are we just saying it's not because everyone's yelling at us about it? And, right. I, you know, I found it's because everyone's got this image of Krav Maga, you get the new student who comes in and is like, why is he talking about this? This is offensive. <laughs> I'm like, you might have to do it. I did it once. Like, you need to understand this stuff. So what are your thoughts on on sort of that talking about things beyond the class yeah sure definitely i mean unfortunately here you have so many cases so many things that happen and you you all you know these days social media works amazing and uh you get videos from you know in israel especially in jerusalem you got cameras all over the place so whenever there's uh anything happening you you um you, you immediately you immediately get a video of, of whatever happened and yeah. we talk especially about israel. these things <laughs> especially israel especially <laughs> jerusalem but yeah i do like talking to them about um even even mistakes that um uh, police officers do you know there was this there's this one video i don't know if you've seen it it was ooh, it was um um, a few years back, there was this uh, soldier, not soldier, a uh, police officer in uh, somewhere in Jerusalem. They arrested this uh, guy and he was sitting down on... No. on um, Pretty sure I've seen that one, yeah. <laughs> where, 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 the, uh, sol- where the police officer comes to him and he asks for his uh, ID mm. and the guy just puts his hands in his pockets. Nobody is securing him. Nobody yeah. searched him. And he just pulled a knife out and he grabs the police officer by the uh, shoulder and he starts stabbing him. Yeah. Now the police police officer was so close to him, so yeah. close to him and he didn't search him. He was not cuffed, nothing. So that was a really, that was a mistake when it comes yeah. to self-defense and you're standing in front of someone, that's a mistake. Yeah. That's a serious mistake. So we, we talk about these things as well. 
I mean, I, I keep telling them you want to survive. And I, I, I talk about, with all my students about these things because it is important for me for, for me that they will understand that, that you know, you, you see things happening and, and maybe, you know, even a police officer who is, uh, you know, for, for kids, for example, he's a person that they, they, they're sure that he's doing his job and he knows what he's doing all the time. He makes mistakes. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to self-defense, even someone who seems to be very, very, you know, like a person whose whose entire world, his entire job is security, even mm. he's not perfect. Even mm. he didn't understand the meaning of, you know, what self-defense is all about. What you have to 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 do in order to to prevent this kind of thing. So, mm. um, I, I keep I keep I always I always I love. <laughs> It's, it's uh, terrible to say that I love these kind of videos, but I do love these kind of videos yeah. because I keep analyzing these videos and then I show them to my students and I, I keep asking them, what did you learn from this? Where, where mm -hmm. is the mistake? What could have, what, what would you do if you were, you know, in this mm -hmm. uh, situation? So, and, and then we talk about it. We analyze it together. We, we, we ask questions. We, we bring up, we're brainstorming, we're bringing up ideas and mm -hmm. it, it helps them understand things it helps them you know yeah it's, it's I, think I, I think i know you're the video there's a guy sitting on uh like a, a wall and there's a yeah a small yeah. wall and then yeah. there they, they, there are a lot of police officers around him yeah. and one of them is just you know standing in front of him standing very close to him yeah i i, I hate it when they do it and and unfortunately it it still happens i can still see it happening yeah. even even you know not in jerusalem outside of jerusalem yeah you know I'm always amazed in all the Israeli videos where in that situation, there was so much crossfire of them all just shooting him, how they yeah. didn't shoot each other. It's, it is a testament to the, the shooting training in Israel that yeah. they didn't well, crossfire each other. And I'm like, I, first, they should not be crossfiring, but you know, they don't get friendly fire hits that often. And, it, and compared to if that had been in America with the police, I guarantee you they would have shot each other. <laughs> Uh, and so there's that, but I take videos like that, you know, because I did infantry, uh, I do have some understanding. People will show that video, those videos and these soldiers are, they don't react well when someone sneak attacks them or whatever. Now, a couple of things you almost always notice is that if there's a knife without fail, that the soldier throws their arm up, you know, 360 style. So I'm like, see, right, yeah. that's where that comes from. Right. But then I remind people, I'm like, listen, he's probably on like four hours of sleep. They don't actually have that much Krav Maga training unless they're a special unit. They don't True. drill that much. They don't want to be there. They're not really paying attention to cl classic complacency because it, it, the way that the Israeli military operates scheduling wise is not like an American or Canadian military. And it's you're so tired. Like if you even in Iraq or Afghanistan, the soldiers there would go on like an eight hour patrol and they'd be off for the rest of the time. And it's right. like, no, in Israel, you're on. If you're on base, you're on. There's no off. You could be in kitchen. You could be doing a drill and something could happen. And I'm like, these soldiers are so tired unless they drill extensively, which they don't. They're not always going to be on point. Like I knew guys who in the West Bank near Shechem were at nighttime by themselves falling asleep in a in a in a security place where just up the road someone got stabbed last week and i'm like are you guys out of your minds you know you're falling asleep in a place you know you could get stabbed because it happened last week 
and that's you know that's the reality is you got these 18 year old kids True, who are yeah, tired, yeah. don't want to be there and that's sort of that psychology is like are you thinking about sleep deprivation like i tell my students like legal i mean i could if you sign a waiver but i can't take <laughs> away your sleep and i'm not going to take away your food for three days unless you're paying me for a week-long course so the only way i can really stress test you is make you physically exhausted but it's like True. i need you to understand that if you haven't slept for three days you haven't eaten how you react is going to be radically different and uh, getting people to understand that sometimes I find it's a bit tough if you've never really been in that experience. Yeah, in this kind of yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, totally. Yeah, now because yeah, you've done policing and you've had some experiences, I found initially uh, because Kramaga is traditionally so heavy striking focus, I found adapting Kramaga for policing was always very difficult. I think I've kind of got my groove now, but how have you approached that? Because some things legally you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you do. Yeah, you can't you can just yeah. do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you're pretty restricted uh, when, when uh, I mean, you can't do a lot of things, but you do need to control the person yeah. in front of you uh, with minimum damage. And uh, and yes, this is very difficult, mm. but uh, but it's it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It keeps you sharp all the time. You keep thinking, how am I going to do? How am I going to control him without without hitting him? Mm. I mean, you do have situations where you you've got no choice. I mean, if someone's going to hit me, I'm not really going to stand <laughs> stand aside and, and not hit him back. I don't care, even if I'm going to go for a trial. Yeah. Um, but um, but when someone is just you know throwing his hand in the air and pushing other other police officers you're not allowed to touch police police officer in here okay you're not allowed to touch okay mm -hmm. if you touch a police officer then 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 i mean it, we're not as violent as 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 i i mean it's it's kind of weird to say it but but police officers here are not as violent as i wish they would be mm. um i mean i i think the the entire uh, uh police has to change their 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 way uh, because people aren't afraid of, of police officers over here. They don't respect mm. police officers and they're not afraid. They're not afraid mm. of anything. Yeah. And uh, and police officers are really restricted because you're not allowed to do anything. You can't mm. shoot anyone. Mm. And even if you do shoot, then then you're undergoing an investigation and they're going to ask you, why did you shoot him? And you can say, oh, my, he was running towards me with a knife. Mm. Okay, so why did you shoot him? Why didn't you defend yourself? You know, so this is my defense. I'm supposed to let him go near me. I, I need to shoot him. I got a gun. What about whatever? No, you need to use the taser. You need to, to, to yeah. defend, you know, so, but, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's totally different. You know, I have a, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking at people thinking, I mean, even, especially if there are huge people, <laughs> I keep yeah. thinking, okay, how am I going to control this guy? But um, as, as a Krav Maga practitioner, I have to say this is very interesting. I mean, you go out and you don't know what you're going to meet. You don't know what you're going to do and what, what's going to happen, uh, even especially at night shifts, especially during weekends. And uh, every person you meet is like potentially <laughs> dangerous and because uh, you don't really know what he's what's going on is in his head. And, um, and it's amazing how my head is always constantly, you know, the, the wheels are constantly turning and I keep thinking, okay, how am I going to control this guy? What am I going to do <laughs> to control this guy? If things escalate, if things are going to go, you know, um, and turn to the worst. So, but, yeah. but yeah, so, so it's, it's, um, it's difficult. It's pretty yeah. difficult. 
I'm not I'm not a police officer by I mean I am by definition but I'm not uh, you know, I'm not on the payroll so mm. I'm not exactly as the police officer I'm a volunteer so you know yeah. if I do something that is not so uh kosher yeah. they're not gonna put me on trial I, i'll probably get like uh you know reprimand you're probably yeah. gonna ask me a few questions yeah. unless i really do if unless i go crazy right but um mm. but i still keep thinking how am i gonna do it under the restrictions under the the strict uh you know yeah. behavior code <clears throat> but it's interesting you say that because like when i i'll tell i tell my students, a lot of the times, I'm like, you know what real knife self-defense in Israel is? I'm like, they're probably getting shot by somebody in 30 seconds. I mean, like, if they're really attacking somebody. Yeah. And and I was like, the gen <clears throat> general public will be like, oh, they were charging them with a knife? Eh, whatever. Versus in North America, they'll be like, how dare you use the gun? So, like, Israel is is, is very bureaucratic. And, and, you know, if you've been in Israel, it's, like, it's bureaucratic to the point where it's ridiculous. But in the end, it's usually just because of bureaucracy. Right, I don't, sure. yeah. yeah. I, I don't think... I think police in Israel are still more likely to use violence if they need to because the general sure. public is more used to it. Versus here, it's, like, the cops are so restricted now i'm in canada so we they have a different approach to policing like for me i'm not a police officer but for me if you have a sidearm you should be pulling that out as your last resort uh, in america they'll pull it out as a threat and it's like mm -hmm. i think that's where they right. go wrong yeah. a lot you're pulling it out as a threat it's like no 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 you're pulling that out because you're going to use it so if the situation doesn't warrant you using it you shouldn't have pulled it out so in canada they don't draw their guns nearly as often as the americans do because they're told like listen you you don't do it grant the training here is still not good enough but it's better than than the the training in the states as a general rule they are taught more other things like use your words and they actually give them some training here now uh, though the consensus is in north america the training is still garbage but then you have to ask yourself, why does the Americans have so many more, uh, you know, unwarranted police shootings than other yeah. countries? And it's just the mentality that they'll draw the gun for everything. Now, Israel, it's like the guy's charging, like every, almost every video where a guy charges in, you will see someone eventually probably shoot them if they're not yeah, subdued in like 30 yeah. seconds. And so it's just a more natural way of being things. Now, me, us being in Canada, I'm like... Guess what? You can't use a gun for basically nothing here. We we can have guns. Like I teach people how to use guns and get their license and stuff. But you basically can't use it for anything other than target shooting and hunting here. Um, you can like there are if I go in the court cases, there are cases where people have killed someone with a gun. They got mm -hmm. off on self defense, but that's after a three year trial. Yeah, life sure, is yeah, ruined. Yeah, sure. So I'm like, you can't. It, you can't do that and it's like the general public's lack of understanding of violence like listen if someone's charging at me with a knife i'm sorry i would like to shoot them but i sure. am I, i'm unable to in my country so i either have to run or let them stab other people or i'm gonna have to risk my life to do something and i think the lack of understanding of how violence works is one of the biggest issues especially yeah. with social media everyone and their mother has an opinion about something they know nothing <laughs> about right <laughs> yeah oh wow yeah 
someone posts a video of, a, of an event that happened and all of a sudden you hear people you know everybody's analyzing things and they don't yeah. really know what happened there they don't really actually know what was going on and you yeah. can't really understand what's going on inside of a person's mind when it, when when someone's running towards him charging him with a knife yeah and definitely I would shoot as well I, yeah. I wouldn't even think about it yeah that's the you know But see, that, that's the difference. In Israel, be like, yeah, of course you shoot him. But the cops here yeah. will be like, yeah, I guess I'd shoot him because they've been so conditioned, you know, not to. Um, for me, if they're actively wow. charging, that's, that's warranted. Like in, in the States, there have actually been some cases where the police officer got beat up and hospitalized. And they said, you know, unfortunately, like because they were black and I didn't want to look like a racist. So they let themselves oh. get beat up. And it's like, okay, we have a real problem real problem here wow. yeah and uh you know america's got its own social problems but i like i find that a lot of what's going on in america because they have such a hold on the media globally it it translates into other other places mm -hmm. to the point where it's detrimental now i'm glad to hear you like you're still like yeah of course i'll shoot him and it's like yeah because he's charging at you with a knife But, you know, I, I know it, what goes on in America affects the policies of Israel sometimes because public opinion and, and switch. And, I, and, you know, as a smaller guy, I'm like, yeah, as you said, in your case, you know, if there's a giant guy, it's like physics says, how am I going to control this person? Like, I might have to punch him in the throat, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, how, so have you like, modified anything like have you actually used krav maga specifically as a police officer or have you where you went to go do a technique you're like ah that's a bit much i need to like modify it i, I usually uh, I, i do modify it I, yeah. I, i have modified it and uh and i have to say that it's not easy because yeah. it's it's way more difficult to control someone when you modify things hmm. but uh, on the other hand i can't just dislocate his shoulder because i want to You know, because I wanted to stop him from, I don't know, for, there was this guy who, who we tried to, he, he was mentally unstable and, yeah. and then he, we were trying to keep him away from, from this place. And then what he did was he, he took his hands and he tried to grab my, uh, my radio. My gun mm. is on, on my left side. So I, I think he thought it was the gun mm. and he tried to grab my radio. And when he did that, I just grabbed his hand. I, I just twisted his hand behind his back. And, I, I, and as I twisted it, I said, okay, wait, I have to stop. I mean, yeah. the guy is mentally insane. And, yeah. and still I have to, you know, to control myself. But, but he touched me. He tried to take my stuff. So mm. or I have to arrest him. I have to stop him somehow. So, yeah, it, it's like it's, you don't really have that much time. You only have a split of a second to think about these things. Mm. But, but I do modified and uh, but i also know that if, if the situation is going you know to be dangerous and i feel like there's no way i'm gonna survive unless i i do the the karma that i'm used to doing then i will go full on and and mm. you know if there are consequences that i will you know yeah. there's yeah. no problem I will, i will handle that but um yeah so it, it brings up the interesting like you mentioned the cavalier uh the classic technique yeah. personally per, i mean personally I someone would have filmed it i don't think yeah. there's a video of it it was so cool yeah. <laughs> it worked so nicely <laughs> yeah that's actually like when you end up doing something well it's because i bring up the cavalier specifically because it, as the way it's often taught i don't like it where you know standing and their your arms are extended and they do it right. really far away from their body 
And I, I personally, I don't teach that. I don't like that version because to me, that's not control when I just have the wrist versus <laughs> if I have them on the ground, right? That's very different. Now, example, I had a student who ended up in the RCMP here. He actually just got into one of the emergency response teams. So I was like, ah, sweet. But I remember when he came out of the, of the academy and they were teaching just simple wrist locks uh, to get them to comply. And he said to me, like, I can never get this to work. And I'm like, because if the person is resisting the way you're being right. taught, it doesn't work because they just sure. teach, teach to force it. And, you know, that's where I was like, listen, you got to put some pressure on places in their body that like maybe the neck to get them to comply, to relax. Otherwise, it's never going to work. And I find just the lack of sort of high stress, real world training to do with the joint yeah. locks and the wrist locks is why so many people fail at them. Like in jujitsu, for example, you know, I think about maybe purple belt, you get to the point where you're good enough that you can feel when you're training with like a spastic white belt. It's like, Hey dude, you should be tapping right now. And I'm just letting go. <laughs> yeah. Right. But that's like, four to six years of just working that stuff to get the, the proprioception feel of this is working, it's not working, or there it's working and they don't seem to think it's working, you know? And it's just to get that feeling to realize the joint lock's not working or it's working and I'm gonna break something. It just takes the, the drilling. And a lot of people don't have, don't have it, I think. They just don't practice it enough under stress. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I think definitely, it, yeah. Yeah. In your case, you probably years of experience. You're like, oh, it's too hard. If I had only tried the Cavalier, it wouldn't work. Yeah. But what I did was I, I, I took his hand. He was, as, as I said, he was with his back towards me. And I just yeah. took his hand and I started the Cavalier mm. and I just got him off balance. And once I saw that he was off balance, I used my other leg. I just swept yeah. him off his feet. Yeah. And that's when the Cavalier actually worked because yeah. as I said, he was, he was actually going crazy. He was throwing his hands. They actually, they tried to grab his hands with both, you know, each hand with two hands, their, their, their yeah. two hands. So they had two hands on each one of his hands and he just pulled his hand backwards. Yeah. And once he did this and I was behind him, yeah. that was my cue. Okay. Yeah. So I just kept the movement. I just started the Cavalier and I just took his foot, uh, feet, yeah. down, feet down and it was, it was amazing. I was very happy with it. Why was, was just, it on video? <laughs> <laughs> I was just—I just kept analyzing what I did, yeah. and um, but that's a sort of—I mean, they don't teach you how to do that, mm, okay? Yeah. It's not like it's not part of the curriculum. <laughs> it's just you know, you you actually use whatever you can, and you just combine things together, and then you you react under pressure, and yeah. uh, that's what I want my students to do, and that's 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 part of the reason why I joined the the police was because. I actually, I, I know that I have a lot to contribute to the force and I actually want to feel what it's like out there. I want, I want to see, I want to test myself. I want to see how I react under pressure. I want to see how, how well the Kamaga is actually, you know, the, the, the techniques that I use really are, uh, if, if it is effective um, out, out there when, when things happen, when, uh, when someone attacks me. Mm. So, so it's great. I mean, yeah. No, to get that experience, because there's a, a lot of people 
I agree and I disagree. In the Krav Maga world, they're like, if you weren't in the military, you can't teach military stuff. If you weren't a police, you can't teach police stuff. So where I agree with it is, if you have no concept of how police operate or how the military operates, then you're just teaching techniques that you don't understand. But right. at the same time, it's like in Israel, like I went to uh, the sniper school and those the girls teaching us had never been deployed as a sniper and yet they can teach just fine people how to be snipers. And so for me, it's a matter of if you get the correct training and you understand what, say, police officers need to do or military needs yeah. to do, then you can teach it just fine. But I think for you going and learning to be a police officer, it, like, it, it can only enhance your Krav Maga and your teaching. Yeah, definitely. Then it, you, yeah. you know, you get that other other perspective on how that goes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> if it makes sense. Because um, I find like a lot of people in the Krav Maga world are like, it's this way or no way. And I, I don't want to do it. You can't teach this. And it's like, because mm. I think it comes from like, if I'm going to teach some police officers, I usually I, they never give me a, an answer, which is annoying. But it's like, okay, what is your procedures so I can work around that? And they never want to tell you, at least in my experience, because they're very like secretive. Or yeah. I had uh, students who are police officers that want to bring me in and teach their team. Uh, and then they can't get permission because we don't want outsiders coming. <laughs> no, they, they, they wouldn't have, they, they wouldn't yeah. have outsiders even here. They're not, yeah. I mean, I really wanted to, I really wanted to, there was even a time when they called me and they said that they wanted me to join their, uh, instructors, but that yeah. was a long time ago. And I really didn't have the time to do that. And, mm. and I'm pre I'm really, I regret not, not taking this because I, I really do think I have. Uh, the ability to to contribute and it could be a really amazing experience but now these days they won't have it they they're not even to the you know even if i go over there to my to, to the station that i i volunteer in and i say yeah. okay let's just get together open up a small group and i'll teach you they yeah. won't allow it they won't yeah. allow it we have our own instructors yeah. and uh, but i understand it's it's a matter of protocol it's a matter of, yeah. of insurance it's a matter of a lot of things yeah i know i understand that i respect global that, problem but... global problem. yeah global problems <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. So one last thing, I think, because it's, I think you mentioned it's, it's something you spend a lot of time is teaching kids. Um, yeah. I don't teach kids uh, for a couple of reasons. One, there's not enough demand here. Two, mm, I don't have the yeah. time and I don't have the time and space, but I, I don't have a problem teaching kids. And a lot of Krav Maga people, I mean, you have to understand like, hey, a five-year-old, they can only do certain things. And an eight-year-old, the next cognitive development, they can do certain things. But a lot of Krav Maga, like we don't teach kids. <laughs> and they just refuse yeah. to like I don't for practical reasons one day I'd like to have a proper program for kids but obviously you teach kids how do you adapt or change things for the kids so that they're not like killing each other because <laughs> that's the idea oh. people have you know like oh Krav Maga is too violent I don't want my kid learning that <clears throat> actually uh, a few years back I met someone who's um one of the uh, he's he does Krav Maga. He's uh, a, a known instructor here in Israel. And then uh, he met me, and he said, "What well, what do you do?" And I said, "I I, I teach Krav Maga." Yeah. And he says, uh, "He said, uh, so you teach teenagers, you teach adults." And I said, "Yeah, but I also teach kids." And he says, "No, kids don't do Krav Maga." And I'm like, <laughs> "You're telling me what I'm doing? You're telling me what the kids are doing? I can show you videos. I teach Krav Maga for kids." Yeah. He said, no, kids can't do Krav Maga. There is no Krav Maga for kids. And I was like, yes, there is. Now, we had an argument, and uh, I ended up hating him. And, uh, 
And uh, I, I'm, I mean, I, we do, um, there's a lot of, of, of hard work on, on making them understand when is it okay and when is it not okay to use Krav Maga, but it's a really long process. They, they start off with uh, um, basic stuff and, and we are aware that this is dangerous, but I always threat them. I always tell them that if I hear that they use Krav Maga outside of classes, Mm. And I hear about these things, and I do hear about these things because mm. I'm <laughs> I know I know all the school teachers and I know all their parents and I keep telling the parents to to let me know. And uh, if something like this happens, then I, I get them all in to sit down and I tell them, okay, I heard that one of you have used Kabuga in class on, on other kids, and all of a sudden they get scared <laughs> because yeah. I keep threatening them. But it's it's a matter of of um, also explaining them that this is dangerous and this mm. it comes from you know I keep giving them the history of Kamaga where it all started, and 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 I keep explaining them you know that this is what they do in the IDF this mm. is where it all started and imagine yourself soldiers are doing it to 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 keep themselves and us safe, so I'm teaching you things that are so dangerous and you have to keep this information to yourself and they 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 love it they they really ask me questions and they love it and and so. They understand that they can only use it if if there's really a reason to use it. And actually, what I do, what what is actually happening is that I keep hearing about kids that that other kids are bullying them and they're not using Kamaga because they're afraid of hurting them. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of doing some some damage to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I have to <laughs> I have to change everything and I have to go. Okay, I know. But if someone is bullying you, then you can do certain things. And then we have to work on what do I do if this kid is in my class what do I do if he's a year older than me what do I do if he's my brother or my sister how do I react to that so we're always working on these things as well hmm. uh, it's, it's a really interesting job it's a really interesting thing to do work with kids it's it's amazing and you've got so many things to do with them you got so much to teach them hmm. and um, and the progress is amazing I mean you ha- you you actually get uh, raw material in your hands because they're not their head is not full of 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 you know other things that they did in the, their past you get them you get like a clean sheet and then you you have the ability to shape them the way you want which is amazing because if you have a kid coming to you and he starts uh training kamaga at the age of five and he stays and he, he gets to the age of 15 and he's still doing kamaga you you get yourself an amazing fighter because mm. you shaped him and he grew up into it yeah. So I think it's really important. I mean, this guy using Kamaga later on in his life, he's gonna be undefeated. It's it's yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. When I did, like, I have run kids programs, but uh, just yeah, as I said, for practical reasons, I'm not doing it right now. But you know I, that in I, Israel, you know, you know that in Israel. Sorry, I'm. I'm I, I, hmm? But you know that in Israel, the majority of of you know, the the majority of Kamaga practitioners are kids. Yeah. You know, I have like. Uh, for example, I got, I think, uh, I think maybe I have uh, 17 group kids classes and only three adult classes. Yeah. Just, you know, so you, you yeah, think it's, it's, it's you think it would be the opposite, but you know, it is. Yeah. You it, think it'll be the opposite. No, it, it's, it's actually something that, that all the kids in my, in my hometown, most of the kids in my hometown are in Kamaga. And and most of the kids in the the, the next the near hometown, she's also the place where, where we teach. They're in Kamaga. I got yeah. like I, I have some. I got two hundred and and seventy students in mm. the 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 other place that we teach, and only twenty of them are adults. Yeah. <laughs> the rest are kids, kids yeah. and teenagers. But 
the majority yeah. is kids, you know. So I'm the opposite. It's mostly adults here. Um, yeah, I know. No. When I did teach kids, I found like, because I find they get bored really easily, right? They're kids. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, hey, how do I teach it? And I realized, like you said, they're they're much more open to learning that I was actually able to teach some of the higher level curriculum or the boxing, the kickboxing, the wrestling to the kids earlier. And they develop really fast compared to the adults who are coming with right. much more like, I'm here to learn self-defense and I have to open them up to learning that other stuff, which is they don't realize is self-defense. With the kids, it's like, uh, unfortunately, I never had a kid program long enough to like really see them grow over like a five or 10 year period. But uh, it's, it is true that like you can, you you got, you cannot teach kids the way you teach adults and you got to be willing to teach them, I think more than you think you can because they'll pick it up. And as long as they're not running around, like killing each other, (laughs) which which is, uh, yeah, I actually had a funny story on that. I had a, a, a girl who was is progressing really fast and they're like the dad comes he's like we had an incident he's like what well her cousin was bullying her and she kicked him in the nuts and her mother is very upset i'm like well at least you know it works (laughs) so then then we had to have the conversation about was it really appropriate and then i can't remember but it's it's funny because because they either learn i'm gonna do it or as you said like i i i don't want to hurt people yeah be careful yeah that's always interesting Yeah, I think yeah. people with kids, it's like kids learn so much more than people realize. It's like just because the kid isn't able to convey to you that they understand doesn't mean that in like five years they they don't under like they got it, you know, and I think people because an adult, you can ask them and they can tell you or you, right. can watch yeah, them. Yeah. you know, adult hypothetically knows how to use their body already with a kid. Sure. It's like you're not really sure what you're watching yet and you have to wait six months a year to figure out oh they did get it <laughs> yeah yeah but you get amazing results from kids it's just it's uh it's it's, it's great i mean and we do so much more than just uh, the the kamaga techniques i mean i i get them into a really good shape as yeah. you said it's really pretty difficult to you know, they get bored really easily and yeah, yeah that's true that's that's why i combine a lot of uh, a, a lot of fitness training during these uh, classes and uh and I, I, I change things around. I use the techniques as, as a game. And uh, I actually, when it comes to little kids, I call it Kamaga games, self-defense games. That's mm-hmm. how, that's the title, you know, and that's, yeah. that's why most people bring them over. And I tell them that, that you know, I, I keep telling them that, that they're, they're learning self, self-defense in a, a nice environment. I keep doing it, you know, I, I keep it like a very fun environment. We laugh and, I, and, and they make me laugh and, and we yeah. run around. I, I when I when I have this class, when I have four years old and, and five year old kids, I run around with them. I, I get tired. I get more. I, you know, I, it's uh, exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It's exhausting teaching them yeah. because I run around with them and we jump and we do a lot of things. But they do learn kamaga in 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 the process. I mean, yeah. either they 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 learn how to to hit, they use their hands, they to kick, but they they tie it up with a very nice experience. You know, mm. so. It's not like this is a violent uh, environment and you are my soldiers and all of you have to stand. And, you know, there's not like I'm not tough with them. And on one hand, on the other hand, uh, they, they have to be, you know, yeah. they, they have to listen to me and they have to do exactly what I say. They can't just hit, hit each other. But still, I want them to to finish every every class, every lesson and and have fun, you know, yeah. and enjoy it. And um, so, yeah, it's difficult. It takes time to to 
to learn how to do it and uh, get used to it. And there are a lot of instructors who just don't want to work with kids because mm -hmm. they don't want to invest so much energy into their class. I mean, yeah. it is it is exhausting working oh, with yeah. kids, oh, but yeah. for me, <laughs> but for me, um, I'm just I'm looking at the result. I'm looking at at you know what I get back from them. And, uh, and, and that's the thing that fills me up with, with energy to, hmm. to the, next, the next class. I mean, seeing a four-year-old kid uh, working the pads, four-year-old kid yeah. around hold the pads and he's, he's working and he's hitting and he's, he's doing it right way. And, it, and, and, and he hears the sound from the pad and, and, I, and then I tell him, oh my God, that was strong. That was great. Hmm. And he's so happy. And, um, and he understands how to defend himself. Someone is trying to hit him and, and he knows how to, to, to break when, when he's falling on, on, the, on the mat. So these things are, are uh, I mean, it's amazing. You don't get that from adults. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I think mean, you get results from adults, but you, you know, you expect that. You don't expect it from a kid. It always surprises me every well, single like time. One of the things being an instructor, you get fatigued. Sometimes you're like, oh, why am I doing this? But sometimes <laughs> yeah. with adults, you might get a group of people and they're just for six months, nobody's progressing. But with like the kids, like it's very noticeable and you get that feedback, you know, a lot quicker. And I think it can be a lot more satisfying. And then you're like, oh, this kid, this kid is going to be something if they keep going. Um, now, is there anything you guys won't teach the kids? Because, you know, for example, I always had when I was teaching kids, I'm like, do I teach with plastic knives? Do I not? Uh, how do I approach that? And, and I was debating because like you see some of these kids on the internet, like a six-year-old with like a katana. And I'm like, well, they're clearly capable. No. <laughs> but like, how do you kind of draw the line when you will involve like knife or not? Or <clears throat> So we actually, um, what we did was we, we kind of changed the curriculum and we, mm. we kind of uh, adjusted it so that it would fit the kids so when they're when i test them for when i do the, the grading tests it's mm. kind of different than from the 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 adult uh grading tests so um i just like to just take things down for 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 instance a kid will not learn uh, knife defense okay mm. he will do the 360 defenses and uh later on when he'll grow up if he, he keeps doing kamaga he's gonna learn how to do the knife defenses because it's gonna you know, it's going to be tested on at a later uh, stage. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually take things that they will, uh, they will that will happen to them in their real life. So I will teach teach them what will happen if someone grabs their their shirt or chokes them. But there are certain things that I will not teach them. Uh, for example, if the head is low, I will not teach them to do this hammer fist over to the back of the head and neck. Because I'm afraid that they won't understand how dangerous yeah. this is. Um, but I don't mind them, you know, hitting the face or the stomach or uh, and understanding that hitting the stomach is not as effective as hitting someone in the face. Um, so we, we did change the curriculum a little bit, mm. just toned it down. That's it. Just toned it down. And, uh, and they know when they get like, uh, they get like this, uh, uh, sheet of paper that they have all the techniques uh, written down when they're, before their uh, grading test. So it says, okay, if, if they're gonna be tested for orange belt, it says orange belt, and then it says kids grade. Okay, it's not gonna be the the adult, the adult, and I keep telling them, you know, if you're an adult and you're doing this test, it's gonna be 
a lot difficult, a lot more difficult than there are a lot more techniques. And they keep saying, but why aren't we learning them? And I said, because you're too young. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to grow up and you're still in Kav Maga, I'm going to teach you everything, but not right now. So mm-hmm. we just complete this. We just keep, they, they, if, if they, you know, if they grow up and they're still in Kav Maga, then they're just going to um, learn these techniques later on and just... Uh, get get tested on, on these things but yeah we i mean knife they, they don't touch a knife mm. for their teenagers yeah. um just because I don't, I don't want them to i don't want them to i don't think it's yeah. it's uh, i don't think a kid should even think about the idea of someone running towards them with a knife or trying yeah. to stab them yeah it might be a little traumatizing <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, we, we do talk about it we do talk about it by the way we do talk about it when we do the 360 defenses i keep talking about it because you know in school you got scissors mm-hmm. uh you got pens you got broken bottles you got a lot of things that could happen so we do talk about these things but i'm not really addressing to it as a knife and stabbing and i'm just uh, letting them understand that sometimes things can get you know, they, they need to to realize that sometimes even if someone is coming towards them with scissors or whatever, they need to change their defense and uh, and uh, uh, but but you know, but I don't want to scare them. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to make them. You know, even though they really want to learn, they really want to learn these things. But uh, I keep yeah. telling them not right now. <clears throat> Eventually, you keep going now. Uh, yeah, that, maybe that that, that they'll, they'll make them stay till they're. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> teenagers and adults and, and you brought up a point that i've like i was always wondering because i never was able to do it because i never had a, a kids program advanced enough is the transition period from kids rank to adult rank because um, mm-hmm. there's many ways you can approach it how do you guys sort of like say they're i don't know a green belt kids rank and then they get old enough how would you transition them into the adult rank given that they didn't learn certain things we have, um, uh, first of all, you, you also have to uh, make sure that you don't get them to progress to progress too fast. Mm. I mean, for example, if, uh, if for a kid to, to reach a green belt, it means that he's either training a lot or, yeah. or already reaching to a point where he's close to being a teenager. But yeah. um, we also have, you know, we, we keep, uh, we're changing the tests. Um, and uh, once he's like, uh, uh, progress once he's progressed and he's um capable of doing the uh, adult version of this uh, test then all he has to do is just work harder for his uh, for his test and maybe even do a couple of you know like uh demo tests okay so so i'm telling him okay you know what we're just gonna do like a demo test and and i'm just gonna check and, and help you during this process so you understand what you're dealing with and uh, you're just going to show, show me how you do the techniques and I'll just write down a few uh, notes and I'll give it to you and I'll tell you where you have to uh, uh, get better or I can decide that I'm, you know, in between, let's say, green belt and blue belt, I'm going to do a half green, half blue belt. Okay, mm-hmm. so like it's a middle rank, <clears throat> which is what we do with the kids, by the way, because um, we want to get them uh, to, to, you know, if, if he's going to be a blue belt and I want him to be really good um for for us by the way a blue belt is already someone who's supposed to be uh really really good at kamaga so not many people get to this uh level mm-hmm. um and and it takes a lot of time a long time to get to this level mm-hmm. so they understand when they get to green belt they understand that that from here things are going to be uh, a lot more difficult 
and uh, uh, we just do this this middle rank, and then from there, when they get to the point where they're doing the blue belt test, and they they have to learn everything, you know, just uh, mm. uh, complete the entire uh, curriculum as, as it is as uh, for the adults. Yeah, so yeah, it makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds it's similar to you say jujitsu, except <clears throat> you know jujitsu they don't always do testing per se but there's those mm -hmm. in between ranks they add a whole bunch of ranks and then you can't say for jiu-jitsu you cannot get your blue belt until you're like your adult blue belt till you're 16 i think mm -hmm. uh so basically you go through all the kids rank for like 10 years then you're a blue belt and then they just progress you really quickly once you're an adult depending on the skill skill yeah. but i think that sort of transition is always possibly a reason why a lot of people don't want to teach kids because it's like they don't know how to do it <laughs> yeah a, i know it's a challenge yeah, yeah. definitely so i think uh, we're coming up on two <laughs> hours uh is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about <clears throat> i don't think so <laughs> covered really everything so. yeah, yeah i think so yeah 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 it was very interesting actually <laughs> yeah i mean i try to be interesting um yeah it is it is yeah like because you know i come from many different i train with many different organizations whoever uh so i kind of have a, a different perspective sometimes compared to people who only stayed with the same organization yeah. the whole time <clears throat> and i mean i found that beneficial personally because if you're always around the same people you all think the same now in israel it's easier to sort of cross train a little bit even if you're still loyal to your organization because everyone <clears throat> lives close so you can be like hey i'm right, yeah, go yeah. Train, with, train with this person versus you know out out where i am like even when i invite other people i've invited some of the other schools over here and there and they never want to show up never <laughs> want to come and train or invite someone big and they never want to come oh that's not our you know i'm like yeah but we're like there's like three legitimate schools here and then some not so legitimate schools like don't you all want to like learn and they're like no i i feel like they <laughs> just don't want to bring their students and they don't want to look bad or something but ego oh. is everywhere <laughs> who knows because <laughs> yeah, that, did, that did happen once or twice uh with the oh, I, something i did want to talk was gun disarms um, mm. And this has happened to me before where uh, I'm training with other people who are like black belt martial artists, whatever they are. And uh, it came to the gun stuff. And because they were so traditional martial artists, we got to the gun stuff and it's like they had no idea what they were doing. And w one thing I, I, I will do, I bring I have airsoft guns. So the magazine comes out. Yeah. And, and this is a thing I noticed if someone doesn't understand guns. Sometimes when you do a gun disarm, the magazine falls out. And if they True. don't understand, when the magazine falls out, they stop, look at the ground, and they're like, I broke it. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, are you teaching gun disarms? <laughs> and, I, and I have had that happen with other instructors before. And I'm just like, it drives me nuts when people are teaching like the gun stuff to beginners, and they don't even know what they're doing. They don't know, yeah. Uh, at what point do you guys integrate sort of gun disarms <clears throat> and, and offensive gun use or uh, in, into your curriculum? <clears throat> Usually only adults, um, you know, actually we, we only teach adults, but um, as I said, we sometimes have uh, training camps and sometimes I have training camps for teenagers as well. Mm. But when we, and, and I wanted to make, I want to make it interesting for them. So I incorporate one or two gun disarming, mm. but, before I do it, 
I give them a full lecture on how the gun works mm. and uh, the different parts of the gun and, uh, and and what happens when someone draws a gun and and uh, so so uh, so they understand better and what you have to be careful uh, when, when you, the things that you have to to be careful and and, and to avoid when you're working with the when you're actually disarming a gun and because uh, I mean most of them are never going to be most of them will, will never uh, face a situation when someone points a gun at them. It's, uh, I mean, it, it rarely happens over here. Uh, but if if they are practicing it, if they are doing it, then I want them to understand fully. So, um, so yeah, I give them a full lecture. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, kids don't don't yeah. don't don't do it at all. Yeah. And teenagers, as I said, uh, every now and then, but only, you know, as part of like, let's say a training camp where I have enough time to explain the whole thing and to, mm. to practice and to, you know, get yeah. to the bottom of it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Like, cause Israel's interesting. Cause like everyone does the military. So eventually, well, not everyone, but you, uh, eventually they'll get <laughs> some experience with firearms, yeah. even if only a little bit. So it's like when it transitions out of there, uh, I find sometimes Israeli organizations, they don't integrate it at all. But then when we come to a place like Canada, it's like people don't have gun exposure here unless they mm -hmm. hunt or something, or very few people do the military. I had a slightly easy solution because we have a gun license here. If you want to get your guns, you have to get your gun license. I happen to teach the course now. It was harder before when I was not allowed to. But I'm like, go get your gun license. And then I teach the gun stuff at Greenbelt, so midway up. Because for me, I see, especially in North America, people are teaching like hostage stuff and the gun thing and all this fancy stuff. And I'm like, show me how you punch first. And they can't. And I'm like, you think you're going to take a gun away from somebody and you can't even punch? But, right. but you know, people do it for marketing because that's what people want to learn. Yeah, because and, it's cool. Know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I'm like, no, you got to learn how to punch, how to kick, how to move, how to grapple, because guess what? If you grab that gun and it goes wrong and you can't do that stuff, someone's getting shot and it might be you. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So Definitely. I'm just like, go get your gun license so that legally I'm protected so that they're allowed mm -hmm. to be around guns, but also that they actually, it's, you know, a two day course here where they go through the history of guns and basic firearms. Uh, you have to go through, um, uh, the five five actions: uh, pump action, uh, semi-automatic, lever action. I'm mm -hmm. forgetting one. Uh, brake action and something bolt action for the rifles and for pistols. You have to learn how to handle a double action and single action revolver yeah. and uh, semi-automatic. So by the time they actually start learning the Krav, they have an understanding of how it works properly, so that they're not like. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I've always found it interesting how the Israelis approach the gun stuff because there's the military versus in North America. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just very different. But I think that's that's probably, we covered a lot of stuff. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. If if people want to contact you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, well, I, I have everything is out there on Instagram and on Facebook. <laughs> The entire information is over there. You got you can you got my phone number. You got my email, yeah. um, and messages and message the, the Facebook Messenger as as you yeah. know as you know. <laughs> yeah. And I try to I try to really um, um, 
you know, always stay online and always uh, see if I get messages. And, and that when people are sending me messages and they, they tell me that I inspire them or, I mean, it's, mm. uh, it's embarrassing, but the, <laughs> these things happen and people share things with me, like I'm doing Krav Maga for this and this, and I'm, I'm training here and there. And I, I watch your videos and I saw you on social media and uh, they ask me questions and I keep, I, I answer everybody. I try to answer everybody. Um, and, uh, and, and, and with pleasure, I mean, no problem. I mean, oh, I'll, pu I'll put it out there. Um, does Kramaga Israel have an English website or is it only in Hebrew? I didn't yeah, there know. is an English website. I have to say that uh, my um, our website is uh, pretty lame, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was. I'm not responsible for it. I'm, I'm mainly. <laughs> yeah, I got the. We we have a Facebook page which uh, recently got active right now, and also mm. an Instagram uh, uh, page. So there, you have a lot of information and a lot of what we do over there as well. But we do have a website, and um, um, and there is a little bit of information over there. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah, mainly on uh, Facebook, Instagram. Oh, yeah. I'll make sure I put I'll put it all up in the episode notes. Um, so uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely, <laughs> that was absolutely. so great. Whenever I, really I had a lot of fun. yeah, whenever I can get to Israel again, which is probably going to be a while. Uh, at this point, uh, I'll have to come train with everyone I've talked to. You are before. more than welcome yeah. to come over here. And yeah, uh, yeah no problem. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Warriors Den podcast. If you like this podcast and our content, make sure you support us in the many various ways you can. The easy and free ways start with liking, subscribing, following, and leaving a positive review wherever you may be listening or watching. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions.